0: to be here together this morning. We thank you for each person that you brought this way. Lord, we certainly know it's by no accident that that we have come here, uh, that we have gathered this morning, Lord, to hear a word from you. And so, Lord, uh, I pray that you would empty me of, of me, fill me up with you. And pour out your word to all of us, myself included, in the next few moments. Use it, Lord, to change our lives and to point us to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen years ago when i was a student at murray state long time ago now it seems would drive back and forth of course to louisville along the western kentucky parkway and if you remember if you've been around long enough and you've driven that road long enough if you remember what it used to be 20 some odd years ago the western kentucky parkway is a far cry from the surface that it is now things you had to worry about back then of course were twofold number one you had to worry about the cops because you know as a college student you know you'd you Had to worry about the cops. They, you know, you tended to try to get home and back a little quicker, maybe, than you probably should have. Um, you know, I drive so much differently now. By the way, I just—if you're a police officer, you got no reason to follow me around whatsoever. I—I I, uh, I drive anyway. Um, <clears throat> things haven't changed. But anyway, um, and 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 what you had to worry about most, though, of course, were the potholes. You remember the potholes on the Western Kentucky Parkway? I mean, they, lit, they were sinkholes. They weren't potholes. I mean, there's, there's half the road missing in certain places, you know, and there's four cars down in over there, and there's people walking. I mean, it's just that was the Western Kentucky Parkway. You had to worry about all that. Well, of course, since then, they've filled in all the potholes. I mean, way to go, Kentucky Transportation Cabinet. I mean, it's just incredible. The road department has done such a good. They've filled in the potholes, but what they've left me with now is something that I'll never understand. Have you seen the interchange between the Penny Ryle Parkway, the Western Kentucky Parkway, and the so-called Interstate I-69? Have you ever seen that when you've been there? I drove through there after they fixed it. And I said, listen, if you're a member of the Transportation Council, I'm sorry. We love you and appreciate your service. But, man, this one is beyond me. Anyway, so I drove through there, and I wound up heading toward Madisonville. You realize that Madisonville and Louisville are not in the same direction? I thought, where in the world am I? I I got some friends in Madisonville, but I ain't trying to visit them. I want to go to Louisville. I want to go home. You know, that's where I'm trying to go. I've never been more confused in my life. I mean, I drove right, right there, and I thought, okay, just stay on the road like I've always done. I just stay on the road that I'm on, and then somehow I wind up in Madisonville, heading toward Henderson, heading toward Evansville, which somehow winds up in Chicago or somewhere. That's where I thought I was going to be. There's no way to turn this thing around. It just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I mean, before I would just drive right through. And, and, and not only that, but all the exit numbers made sense back then. I mean, Princeton was 12 and Dawson Springs was 24. And get up around the you know, Penny Riley's 38. You know, now they're in the 90s. And now they make me exit to stay on the road that I was already on. I don't. There's nothing about it that makes any sense whatsoever. If you've not driven through there before, next time you do, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And you'll be just as confused as I am. Now, I'm sure in my ranting as I go through there, as I say every time, that someone was paid a handsome fee to design this incredible piece of roadway. And I'm sure that it makes perfect sense to somebody who can look at it from above and say, oh, yeah, you know, look at this and that and whatever. But on the road, it doesn't make any sense to me. It makes zero sense whatsoever. So as I drive through there, I yell and complain at no one in particular all the time. Even if I'm by myself, I'm just yelling and hollering at somebody, trying not to wind up in Madisonville. That, that's, my, that's my goal. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. What do you do when things don't make any sense? With, from your vantage point, you can't see the answer. Do you yell and scream? Do you complain? Maybe you just shut down. Maybe you cry. Maybe, maybe you try to fix things and figure out a solution. And more importantly, certainly than a road that doesn't make sense to me as I try to navigate my way to Louisville, what do you do when life doesn't make any sense? I mean, you, you've had those moments. There's no, no doubt in my mind. I've had them. You've had them. Some have had more than others. What do you do when the road that you're traveling in life makes no sense? And it changes all of a sudden. And you think, who in the world designed this? Whose bright idea was this to happen? What do you do when life doesn't make sense? None of us can escape that fact that sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. We're beginning this morning a new sermon series that I've I've mentioned before, and if you're just uh, catching up with us, this is one I don't know when it will end. Um, I don't say that as a joke. I don't say that as, well, we'll just just see. The truth is that pain and suffering and life not making sense sometimes seems to never end, doesn't it? And so what we're going to do is we're going to journey through the book of Job. Maybe you know a little bit about this guy, this character in the Bible. But we're going to look at a guy for whom life made no sense. Now, our society, of course, is obsessed with finding answers to everything. We want to know everything, but often we're left with just questions, aren't we? Well, the more we know, the less we seem to understand. And that's going to be our starting point. Each, each week in the series will highlight just a, a question that can arise in your mind when life just doesn't make sense. Things like, what did I do to deserve this? Maybe you've asked that. or, or why, why is it that bad things happen to good people? I've heard that a million times. Or, or where, where is God when it hurts? so much pain, where where is he? Or if God is so powerful, why didn't he stop this? If God is so loving, why didn't he want to stop it? Some tough questions. What do you do when life doesn't make sense? Our goal is to see if God has anything to say about it. And so we're going to begin in verse 1 today of the book of Job. Job. The Bible is divided into two parts. You've got the Old Testament, which is the first part and the longer part. And then you have the New Testament, which is the second part and a little bit shorter part. We're going to be in the Old Testament today. If you don't know where the book of Job is, I would encourage you to find the table of contents in your Bible and look up the page number and get there. You'll be on the very first page of the book of Job. If you want to turn directly to the middle of your Bible, you like finding things on your own, just open the Bible about to the middle and you'll be somewhere probably in the book of Psalms. Turn back to the left just a little bit and the book right before that is the book of Job. Looks like Job, but it's pronounced Job. That's where we're going to be this morning. A little background on this book. Uh, You probably, me just mentioning the name Job, even if you're not a church person, even if you've you've not been in church maybe for a while, you you probably have heard this name before. Maybe you've heard it talked about the patience of Job. Maybe you didn't know where that came from, but it comes from this particular book in the Bible. Now we really don't know when this story took place. We can guess, based upon some clues and so on in the story, that it was probably during what we would call the the patriarchal time in biblical history, which is sometime around the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We, We think anyway, that's probably when it took place, but when it took place is not really the most important part of the story. Uh, We really don't know who wrote the book. Uh, There's no author that's given to us, but uh, most people who study literature will say, uh, that if they've studied ancient literature, that the book of Job is one of the most beautiful pieces of literature ever written. Uh, It's kind of divided into some sections and that's kind of how we'll make our way through it There's some story up at the beginning and then there's there's some long speeches that are that are made of hebrew poetry And then there's some more story kind of wrapping things up at the end So that's kind of how we'll make our way through this We're going to look at the story And then we're going to look at these speeches that were given both by job's friends as they try to to help him in some way Uh, Job gives some speeches as he kind of laments what's going on and he wonders where god is and and god through all of this is very silent and then at the end, God speaks, and we'll, we'll, we'll get uh, what he has to say. Job is the title character, a man who, as we see, faces pain and suffering I think really far beyond any of us can understand and probably will ever experience. I mean, he literally loses everything. And it happens very quickly. All in rapid succession, he loses everything that he has. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what we can expect from the book of Job. If you're making some notes this morning, I'm going to get to those in just a minute, but you may want to turn your paper over if you've got that, and just make a, make a list of here's some things that we're going to cover uh, in the book of Job. And so maybe if you're reading ahead a little bit and you want to study some of these, you can look for some of these themes. Now, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list this morning, but here are some themes that we'll discover in the book of Job. First of all, life is unfair. Just so you know... Uh, bad things do happen to, to, quote, unquote, good people. Good things happen to, quote, unquote, bad people. Life is unfair. Uh, we well you say, well, you know, the Bible says you reap what you sow. Well, not always. Just the way it is. Life's unfair. Just the way it goes. Uh, another thing we'll see is that God is sometimes silent. Awkwardly silent. God is sometimes silent. Job, for an indefinite period of time, just pours out his heart and God doesn't say a word. God sometimes sound. Uh, another thing is that, that sometimes things won't ever make sense. You won't ever know why that happened. I mean, honestly. You're still searching for answers from something 20 years ago, probably. You, you may never know. That's, uh, we get that in the book of Job. Uh, another thing is that suffering is real and often undeserved. Suffering is real and often undeserved. Job, as we'll see, was held up by God himself... As the greatest of all people. Didn't deserve any things that happened to him. But his suffering was very real and undeserved. Another thing is that we'll see is that pain is unavoidable. It happens to everybody. It's just part of the human experience in a fallen, sinful world. It is simply there. Pain is unavoidable. We'll also learn that, yes, God can handle that prayer that you want to pray. That you want to say to God. He can handle that prayer well, I don't know if I should say that to God. I, you know, Well, I'm a good Christian. I better not say those things. God can handle that prayer. Job prays some pretty forceful prayers. And also, we'll learn that no, God does not answer to us. He doesn't. From one of the commentaries that I read this week, they said this, the book of Job faces us with the inadequacy of ministry with the inappropriateness of some forms of preaching with a god who seems silent, callous, unfair and remote we are forced to rethink our prejudices rethink our theology rethink the meaning of pastoral care in the face of injustice and suffering and rethink what we say about god That's the book of job it confronts us it smacks us in the face now what we can what we, what we we can expect all those things in the book of job what we can't expect from the book of job is all the answers if you came this morning, man, so excited. I'm finally going to figure out how life can make perfect sense all the time. Guess what you're not going to get from the book of Job? You're not going to get perfect sense all the time. Do you know what Job never got? The answer to his biggest question. You know his biggest question through the whole book? Anybody know? There's one word. Why? Why? You know what God never answered? Why? Why? I don't know why he didn't answer it. (laughs) We're not going to get all the answers. But, in the end, Job got God. And that was enough. And that's our goal. Why this series right now? Well, of of all the things that I deal with uh, as a pastor... The questions that surround this idea of what do I do now that life doesn't make any sense. I mean, well, you know, why did that happen? That's what I get over and over and over and over and over and over again. Now, that's what that's what you all deal with. That's what I deal with. What do I do now? I, I face that all the time. And, and recently, stories in and out of our church, even in my own uh, extended family, have have led me to believe that now is the time for us to study the book of Job and look at what God has to say about what life. Can throw at us. I think we all need to hear from God in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering to help us walk through it or to help us prepare for when it comes. You say, hey, everything's good right now. I'm glad you're here because let me tell you the cold, hard truth of life. It ain't always going to be good. And you need to be prepared, not so that you can muster the strength, but so that you can know what it means to trust God right then, right there for that situation. And so we'll have a question each week. What about this and what about that? Today's question comes from the way that Job himself is described at the very beginning of the book. What does God really want from me anyway? Maybe you've wondered that before. What does God really want from me? Look at it in verse 1. We're just going to focus only today on verse 1. That's going to be it. You can read ahead if you want. That's totally fine. We'll be next week in verses 2 through 5. But this morning, just verse 1. There was a man in the country of Uz. That's a great name. I wish I'd grown up in Uz. There's a guy in the Bible named Buzz, by the way. Buzz from Uzz. That would be great. There's a man in the country of Uzz named Job. We'll stop there for just a second. There was a man named Job from this country called Uz. Now, we, we don't get any particular meaning of the name Job. You know about Hebrew names, that they meant something, that they de- described a person's character? We, don't get, we really don't even know exactly what the name Job means. We don't really know. And for, he's from the land of Uz. We're not told a lot in the Bible about where this land was and what it was about. And so we, we, we know it was sort of what they described from the east, which meant that it wasn't in Israel, but we don't really know much about this land. So we have a guy named Job from a place in the east, and he's most likely not a native Jewish person, so he's just a dude, just a dude named Job from us down the road in the east. That's how he's described to us at the very beginning. So this is not about someone who we know absolutely came from a historically faithful Jewish family raised in the right pedigree and so on, whose family always followed the Lord, or maybe they did. We don't know. We don't know anything really about his hometown that, well, they were just always God followers and everybody, you know, was real popular then to follow the Lord and so on. So that's, that's why Job did what he did. Or maybe they did. We, we don't really know. So he couldn't, at least from what I understand, he could not rely on or blame his family or his hometown for any of his walk with God. He stood, this man named Job from the country of Uz, stood before the Lord as we all do just as an individual before Almighty God. So, just from the outset, let me encourage you. You take your hometown, wherever it is that you grew up. I grew up in southwest Louisville. You take your hometown. If it's Murray, Kentucky, Dexter, Almo, New Concord, one of the suburbs of Murray, whatever. You take your hometown, and you take your family, and you, for right now, you just set them over here. Because none of us, none of us can blame... Or rely on our families and our hometown when we stand before God. A man named Brad from Valley Station, Kentucky. All I am is just a dude from Louisville. I stand before God as an individual, and so do you. So take your family and all your upbringing, all your raising, and all that stuff, and set it over here for now, and say, you know what, Lord, I stand before you on my own. And this morning, I want you just simply to expose me as a person named whatever from wherever. And teach me this morning. Sometimes your family, sometimes your hometown, sometimes your upbringing can confuse you on who you're supposed to be. And so we're going to set all that over, and we're going to look at who does God want us to be? Who is it that God wants us to be? Some of you have been searching for answers for years. You've been in church forever. You still don't know. You watch Oprah and Dr. Phil and all of them, Judge Judy and everybody. You watch them all trying to figure out, now, who am I supposed to be? Who am I not supposed to be? And you still don't know. You you, you post all kinds of things on Facebook, and you, 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 you figure out what's trending and so on, and you interact and whatever, and you still have no idea who it is that God really wants you to be. And by your age, maybe you think, well, I should have figured this out by now, but I don't know. And so this morning we'll help to answer that question. What really does God want from me? What does God want from Brad from Louisville, Kentucky? What What is it that God wants from you? What does he want for you? I believe that Job 1.1 has the answer. The description that we get of a life that is commended by God, look at what it says. He was a man of perfect integrity. That's the first one this morning, integrity. God will later talk about how great Job is and says there's no one like him. And he talks about his integrity. This word in the Hebrew means that Someone is complete and pure and strong in character. Integrity means that a person is saying the same on the inside as they are on the outside. You don't have to wonder. If you're having an interaction with a person of integrity, are they thinking the same thing about me that they're actually saying about me? You don't have to worry. Will this person be different once I get to know them? What you see is what you get. I tell folks about our church. When they ask me, and I, one of the things I, I will inevitably say is, "Well, you come on a Sunday morning, and what you see is what you get, for better or worse. What you see is what you get. We are who we are. This is us. Very friendly church, uh, outgoing. We enjoy one another. We like being together. Uh, the handshaking time would never end if we allowed it to. And I mean, it just we just you know we, we like to eat food and stuff. I mean, you know that's what we we are just what you see is what you get. Not a lot of hidden stuff here." And that's what Job was. He was a man of integrity, and we all know this is so so important, don't we? I was looking online. I just I did a little search for tests of integrity, and and I came up with there was a, there's a government website that that has employee tests for integrity. This matters, doesn't it? And You don't want to hire somebody who has no integrity. Well they might show up, they might not, they might steal from you, they might not, you know, they may they, they may be a good employee, they may not. We want people that are full of integrity. And Job was that kind of person. He's the kind of person you want to hire. He's the kind of person you want to work for. He's the kind of person you want living next door to you. He's the kind of person you want your kids to be friends with or to marry your daughters or what I mean that, he's that kind of guy. A person of integrity. He had a good reputation and everybody knew it. The Bible places high value on integrity because of course God does. In Proverbs chapter 10 verse 9, the Bible tells us that those who walk with integrity walk securely. They're confident. Proverbs 11:33 says that integrity is a guide through life will help illuminate your path. Proverbs 19:1 says, "It's better to be poor and to have integrity than to be rich and have no character." Proverbs chapter 20 verse 7 says that "the sons of a man with integrity are blessed." It has an impact. So God commended Job for his integrity, his character, his blamelessness, and God hasn't changed. He still values integrity. So if you want to know what's one of the things that God wants for me, he wants integrity. He wants you to live a genuine, authentic, Christian, Jesus-focused kind of life that is the same indoors and outdoors, at church, not at church, publicly, privately, everywhere. That's the kind of life that God wants for you. That's the first thing. Secondly, Job had honesty. In other translations, it says he was a man who was blameless and upright. Now, our translation this morning combines those into perfect integrity. But, but there are two ideas here. Some would say that, that the idea of being in, uh, having integrity is living right before the Lord, and the idea of being upright is living right in front of other people and doing what is right by them, being an honest person. Job was a man who was honest. He was honest in his words. What he said was true, and he didn't have to question it. You ever met somebody like that? Years ago, what a man's good word and a handshake, or what? All you need, right? In Alabama, sing about it. A man's good word and a handshake—that's it. That's all you need. It nowadays, of course, we don't. Why? Because we don't trust anybody. You realize? I just—I'll just shoot you straight. One of the things I struggle with most is trusting people. don't trust people. Just don't trust them. I'm gonna just look all around. so you wonder—is he, he talking about me? You know, did I do something? You know, all of y'all gonna apologize on the way out the door? That's not. I struggle with trusting people. I've had people lie to me before. I've had people betray me before. I've had people say one thing and do another. I, I struggle with trusting people. You, you, maybe you're like that. Job was a guy that you could trust. And God said, this is the kind of man that I want. This kind of person, this kind of woman that I want people to be. Someone you can trust. We live in a society that doesn't value honesty. Not really. We have a whole set of speech called politically correct speech. We say things that we don't really mean so that we don't offend anyone. Do you realize God's not worried about offending us? you ever noticed that in God's Word? He ain't politically correct. He just tells you how it is. Here's the way it is. I love you, but here's the way it is. Job was that kind of guy. He's going to be honest with you. He wasn't trying to be mean, trying to be rude. He was just honest. He was honest in his dealings with people as well. As We'll see as we get to this next week. Job was a very, very, very rich man. Rich beyond what any of us could, could comprehend. He was, he was loaded. And yet, because he was honest, he came by it all honestly. He didn't cheat people. Uh, He didn't hide information from them so he could gain in the demands or anything like that. He just simply did what was right. He was honest in the eyes of God and the eyes of people. Proverbs, as I referenced earlier, also commends those who are upright and honest. Proverbs 11, uh, 6, and 7 says the upright are not greedy, and ultimately they will see God. They'll understand him. Proverbs 14, 2 says the upright are not devious. They're not scheming all the time. Proverbs 15, 19 says the upright are not lazy, they're hard workers. Proverbs 16, 17 lists lying as one of the things that God hates. Proverbs 17, says that those who deal faithfully and honestly with others please God. This matters to God, that we would have honesty and integrity. I saw, as I looked up on the internet this week, I saw a little integrity test. Let me read you a couple of these and you kind of see, see what you would do. As a famous athlete, now everybody that ever played sports wanted to be a famous athlete at some point. Maybe some of our kids that are here, one day you will be. But as a famous athlete, you're offered a huge endorsement to promote a product that you dislike and would never use. What would you do? If you're Forrest Gump, you just hold the paddle and smile, right? That's what Mama said. What would you do? Do you have integrity or not? You're working on a project. Here's here's one for business people, along with several other companies, and you notice that one of the companies is doing shoddy, dangerous work. If you report the company, the entire project may be shut down, and you'll lose 20% of your revenue for the year. What do you do? Man. You're backing into a tight parking space, and you accidentally dent someone's door. Do you just move or do you leave them a note? Hmm. You can see how integrity is important. God values integrity, honesty, very highly. And it goes on in Job and we find also not only integrity, but honesty, we find devotion. He was a man of perfect integrity who what? Who feared God. Now, two types of fear of God in the Bible. One is the fear of God for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. You know what that's the fear of? Hell, punishment, death. Strong fear should be there because that's the bad news of the equation. The good news of the equation comes for those who believe in Jesus Christ, and that is the fear of God is not fear of punishment, not fear of retribution, not fear of death, not fear of hell, but simply reverence and awe in the face of a gracious, loving God who loves sinners enough to come to earth and die on a cross for them. This is what we're talking about in Job, a preview, really, of of Christian devotion. He feared God. He had tremendous reverence. He took God seriously. He took God's Word seriously. He probably lived a life of, of devoted worship. Psalm uh, Psalm chapter 34, the first verse says, Your praise will continually be on my lips. A person who who is devoted wants God to be high and lifted up. A person of devotion also is a person of obedience. That to the extent of my knowledge about God, I will obey God. And as I learn more about Him, I will obey Him to the extent of that knowledge. And submission. I thought of this this song this morning. I, I've got a friend here from uh, my old home church, and I don't know if you remember this song or not, but there was a song that we used to sing that my youth pastor, I always remember Carrie Jones, my youth minister, singing this song, and it was the words simply say this, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll obey. And my answer will be yes. Lord, yes. We sang that song over and over and over and over again. To to, to instill in us an attitude of submission and obedience. That's what devotion is about. And finally, Job is described as having holiness. It says he's a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil, shunned evil, turned away from it. Anytime that he found evil in his heart, he repented of it and he turned from it. Holiness, this idea of shunning and turning from evil and being set apart. Holiness means having a a deep hatred of sin. Listen, some of the problems that we have as Christians are because we don't hate sin like God hates sin. It's the bottom line. I've experienced it in my life. You've experienced it in your life. We just don't hate it like God hates it. The truth is, sin is offensive to God. Any sin. All sin. Big, small, whatever we want to call it. All sin is offensive. Even the the littlest ones that we don't think matter. All sin is offensive to God. And all sin is destructive to us. I read an article this week by John Piper, former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist up around uh, Minneapolis area. And he said this about, about sin and how, how is it that we can get to the point where we hate sin like God hates it. And he says this. He said, ask God that he would make sin sickening to you, not just morally wrong, but he would literally make you sick about it. He says, ask him to make biblical realities like hell and heaven terribly and wonderfully real to you, real enough to taste and feel, he said. Ask him to open your eyes to the glory of the spiritual world where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Ask Him to bring you a massive desire for the ultimate pleasure that God can bring that is so strong that it makes sinful pleasures nauseous. Ask Him to transpose the pleasures of intimacy with your friends and family and so on who love Jesus so that you won't desire the company of fools. Holiness means hating sin like God hates. It also means pursuing purity at least twice in the Bible, once in the Old Testament, another time to confirm it in the New Testament, we are told by God Himself, be holy as I am holy. We can say about certain things, that's no longer part of who I am. I'm different. And that's no longer appropriate for me. And so I shun evil. So if you want to know, What really does God want from me? It's integrity, honesty, devotion, holiness. Ultimately, it comes down to this. The one thing that God wanted Job to say and to build his life on is the one thing that I want you to remember for this week, and we're going to take this away, and we're not done yet, so hang on just a second, but it is very simple. It is, I trust God. I want you to write it as big as you need to on your paper. I trust God. Ultimately, that's what Job did. Job was a man who had integrity, certainly. He was a man who was honest. He was a man full of devotion to his God. He was a man full of holiness and reverence. And all of that was based on the fact that he could say with absolute confidence and honesty, I trust God, and I want you to write a period right at the end of that sentence. Because that's the end of the sentence. You see, I didn't put a period there for you. That's for you to fill in. A little crowd participation. Make sure you're still awake at ten fifty-one in the morning. All right. Period. As big and bold as you need to make that period. You just wrote, "I trust God." My question is, really? Do you? Do I? I mean, honestly, do you? I mean, do you really trust that God's Word is true? Do you really trust that Jesus alone can save your soul? That you must be saved by Jesus alone? Do you really trust that God's way is best? Do you really trust God, period? Period, end of story. No No. No disclaimers, nothing to add on there, no little footnote. and Well, you know, in these cases I will, and I'm not sure. Enough. I trust God, period. I wonder... Do we? I I am convinced that that is what the book of Job is about. I trust God. Period. What about... No, no, no. Stop. I trust God. Period. But what if... I trust God. Period. Now, you remember... I trust God period period it's the end of a sentence there's nothing else to be added to it but we add things to it don't we? Well I trust God but I tell you what I you know things are going well hey praise God you know I'm trusting God that things will continue to go well right job lost everything everything all taken away we'll see it in a couple weeks. everything taken away and never got his answer. 42 chapters in the book of Job. 42 long chapters. Long chapters. We're going through every one, one verse at a time. Be here till 2030, right here. Okay? Long chapters in the book of Job, and he's asking over and over, Lord, why? Lord, why? God, I don't understand, and his friends are telling him one thing, and he knows another, and God isn't saying a word. Till chapter 38 and God starts speaking and it's powerful but he never says why he just proves that he can be trusted and ultimately that's that's it I trust God period this morning we're going to close in a way that we've not closed in quite a while and uh, if, if you are new with us, then this won't be new to you, which is great. You just play right along. No big deal. If you've been with us for quite a while, then, then, then this will be a little different. I am fully convinced that there are many of us here this morning who aren't sure if we're going to trust God or not. It's just, it's just life. And so what I'm going to do in just a moment is I'm just going to kneel right here at these steps the Old Testament word would be, we'd call it an altar, where we kneel before the Lord. And I'm just going to ask you, Danny's going to play a little something just for a few moments, and and I'm just going to wait until whoever needs to gather, gathers, and you just kneel right here with me. And maybe there's something in your life that you say, Lord, I trust God in this, period. Lord, I, I trust you even though, period. Period. Lord, I trust you because, period, maybe you're facing something and you know you just desperately need to trust God and you don't have answers and you don't know if you're going to get answers, but you know that the one answer is, I trust God. I've got to trust God this morning. All I'm going to ask you to do is just gather down here and I don't know if there'll be one or none or 150. I have no idea. But if this fills up, you just spill on back and turn and kneel at a seat but we're just going to kneel before the Lord and we're going to confess our trust in Him this morning. And I'm just going to pray for us and then we'll we'll all go back to our seats after that and we'll stand and we'll sing a closing song. But this morning, I, I, I truly believe that there may be folks here who simply say, there is something specific I need to trust God with. Maybe, maybe just maybe, it's your life. I want you to know that, that God, He's not just a God of... The book of Job, where he doesn't completely give us all the answers. He's a God who, as we see in the book of Job, doesn't always give us the answers because sometimes we can't handle them. But he loves us anyway. And he demonstrated his love, the book of Romans says, in that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ himself, God in human flesh, died for us and took our sins to the grave and was raised again to give us victory over death and over sin so that we might live both here and now and forever with Jesus Christ. And maybe this morning you just simply need to lay yourself here on the altar of God and say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. Or maybe it's integrity or honesty or devotion or holiness that is lacking and you say, Lord Jesus, give me those things and I confess them to you. So, Danny, if you would just come and play, and I'm just going to kneel right here, and you can gather if you want. You can not gather if you want. Ain't nobody going to say a word to you. If I'm the only one, then y'all know your pastor needs to trust God. How about that? But as Danny plays, I'm going to kneel, and then when I feel like that the time is up there for folks to gather, I'm just going to pray for us. In the meantime, you pray by yourself. You pray for the folks that that you that you see, and we're going to trust God together this morning.